there is a dearth of female leadership right now who are in this boat, who have young kids, who are trying to school at home, who all of those things. And the people who maybe were going for the gold ring and wanted to take the next step, I've been hearing from a lot of them reaching out where they're saying, I don't know if this is the right time. And what I want to say is there's no right time. Yes, this time is crazy, absolutely. But if you're going through hell, just keep going. I think that is so important to portray and get out there right now that you can do it. Everyone can do it. We can all do it. And I guess that's the resilience I was talking about, right? Like I have found buckets and boatloads of resilience I did not know I had. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Tiffany Hempel. She's a sales manager for LinkedIn Marketing Solutions at LinkedIn. She's based out of Canada. You know, it's safe to say that the pandemic has been particularly hard for women in sales. Those with school-age and preschool-age kids at home, they've had to carry a disproportionate share of the load in terms of managing their own work, managing the remote learning of the kids, managing the family, the household relationships, and so on. And in our conversation today, Tiffany and I talk about that. We talk about the many roles that women have had to fill and still fill to keep work and family moving forward during these difficult times. We talk about some of the 16 roles that Tiffany laid out that she's been filling during this time, 16 roles. And she shares some of the key lessons she's learned from managing her time, her team, and perhaps most importantly of all, making time to take care of herself in the midst of all of the demands on her. We also dive into how that has translated and how she does manage her team, how she helps them learn how to manage and cope, and on how that has affected the coaching conversations that she's had with her team. We also talk about constraints, how Tiffany's learned to recognize the constraints she's facing during this time, and how she's learned how to strictly prioritize her time to be more productive and effective. Now, before we get to Tiffany, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. As I said, I'm very excited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm feeling as mutual. I'm excited to to talk with you. So, um, yeah, I was reading something you'd written, and I want to talk about that, and... (sighs) I have to admit, I started getting tired reading it because you wrote about the number of roles that you fill. You talk about the last year has been like for you. You said you're a boss, coworker, teacher, friend, mother, daughter, sister, confidant, wife, opponent, leader, business owner, challenger, student, partner, and cheerleader. Wow. And the thing is, you get to do that all within the confines of your house now. Right? I mean, how fun is that? <laughs> yeah, really. So well, let's talk about that. I mean, what's, what has the last year been like for you? Nuts. I think like yeah. most people, right? It has been absolutely nuts. It has pushed me and many others to the brink. It has shown you strength that you didn't think you had. It has found reserves you were not aware of resilience that you did not know existed. Um, and then a whole other skill set of organization and motivation and cheering and all of those things. So I, now granted, I realize I am incredibly fortunate because I work at a company that proliferated and did well from the pandemic. And so 
We are very lucky and very fortunate in that fact. But mm-hmm. for all of those things, it has been certainly uh, a year of personal growth. And so you talked about all these things you found. What did you, is there something you had hoped you had found and you didn't? <laughs> you had hoped you'd find but didn't? Um, something that said, oh, wow, I didn't realize this gap existed. So one of the things obviously was, and I think you've seen this a lot, but this, and we were just talking about this a little bit, but this idea of remote work and the idea that work and personal can blend together in this way. Uh, I didn't think it could blend together this much. Um, I didn't know if I wanted it to blend together this much, (laughs) certainly, but it has. Um, and, And I do think that has been truly very interesting. And it's been very funny Um, And again, I just feel fortunate because I'm in this position that I've had a lot of young women who are either leaders or salespeople or marketers who have young kids who are at home. And it's all those conversations that are happening, for lack of a better term, you know, behind the surface, behind the screen, that are on the phone, that are texting, that are going, how are you doing this? How are we doing this? Are you falling apart? Are you okay? Are are we all okay? Is everyone okay? Um, And so I think what has been really lovely uh, about this time is finding this base of women, parents who are working, who are balancing, who are juggling, and yet we're not talking about it nearly as much. I mean, I've seen a few Mm -hmm. articles come through, um, but we're really, we're still not talking about it nearly as much. And honestly, what certainly, yes, the cons are, but what all the pros are of this. And when you look at the statistics around women dropping out of the workforce right now and what it's going to take to come back, right? All those things. I mean, do you, are there any women in your circle who've, who felt that they had to drop out of the workforce during this last year? I would say there are certainly people who have felt like they had, but they haven't had the option to do so. Right. So whether that's been, they, uh, they had to bring in an income to keep things going, whether that was honestly, their job kept them sane. And so they yeah, needed yeah. to. They needed that uh, as an escape. But I, there have been many conversations I've had with people where it has been, should we return? What does it look like? And then, yes, I have known a few people who have actually stepped out. Yeah, I mean, I was just reading statistics that came out last week. Those saying that that at least in the U.S., you know, the the net job loss in December was 140 thousand jobs. Every single one, a woman. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's just, well, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I was just sort of wondering, you know, sort of in this audience of people listen to this, which is, you know, B2B, a certain, you know, leaning toward the tech audience, what those experiences had been like, because it's, it's, uh, yeah, just unprecedented. Mm-hmm. And it's also sort of, you know, interested too is, because I was listening to uh, a podcast about you know work sharing mm-hmm. at home because you have two two people is you know is the workload being evenly balanced uh, in terms of kids and so on and so forth. So I think many of the people that I know in tech, to your point, they haven't. You haven't seen the same kind of need to step away. Um, sure, certainly uh, you could, but I'm talking about people who are working in service, who are working in hospitality. Like a lot Mm -hmm. of those people really had to. We're so fortunate, any of us who work in tech, because we have the opportunity and the tools to do the work from home. Yes, it's crazy. Yes, it's nuts. But at least we have the tools. And most of us have employers who have been very compassionate throughout this this unprecedented time. 
for lack of a better term. Um, but I do think there is a lot of work to do now. To me, it feels like the work starts now in, in bringing people back. So what I have noticed is, and, and this is why, you know, I was really excited to talk to you is there is a, there is a dearth of female leadership right now who are in this boat who have young kids, who are trying right. to school at home, who all of those things. And the people who maybe were going for the gold ring and wanted to take the next step, I've been hearing from a lot of them reaching out where they're saying, I don't know if this is the right time. I don't know. Everything's kind of crazy. Maybe not. Um, and what I want to say is there's no right time. And yes, this time is crazy. Absolutely. But to me, I guess if you're in that old Winston Churchill quote, right? Like if you're going through hell, just keep going. And mm -hmm. so I think that is, I think that is so important to portray and get out there right now that you can do it. Everyone can do it. We can all do it. Um, and I guess that's the resilience I was talking about, right? Like I have found buckets and boatloads of resilience I did not know I had um and we can do it and and you right. can do it and so that's why I just I feel like there's an opportunity right now to bring the conversation that's happening honestly on my phone at night when people are texting me to the forefront and say okay and I know I've seen a few articles again but not enough like all right so how do we do it who do we talk to where are the people um, and right. one of the podcasts I had heard from you, um, you know, on one of my morning runs was about that. Like, where are, where are the young female leaders? Where are the yeah. people? Well, and I think that's such an important point because it's, it's, this is such unique experience. Yeah. You know, trying to draw, uh, analogies or comparisons in any other time. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's virtually impossible. Maybe World War II, mm -hmm. you know, something equivalent that was so disruptive, um, but at the same time, presented such opportunities for transformation. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I agree with you. I mean, I have full of amazing amounts of respects for anyone who's going through this with young kids at home, having to do all these, I think, 16 different roles that you, <laughs> you spelled out, which are all required. And and doing it in this confined space where you really don't have a chance to have a break. I mean, I I, I, said, I think as a generation, the, to your point, is there's so much resilience people are going to find having gone through this experience that you anticipate something transformational on the other side. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what, at least that's what I'm seeing. It feels like, it feels like a lot of the companies that were very resistant to remote work all of a sudden now have policies on it. Companies that, and you saw this, that we were already moving to a more work-life blend as opposed to right. that, uh, you know, that hard line. And you're seeing it now. I mean, this morning, I literally had a one-on-one -on -one with one of my teammates. And in that, my son was with me, obviously, and Oh Canada, the anthem started. And so I, I'm sitting there talking to him like, oh man, I'm really sorry. Hold on. Can we just stand for the anthem? So the three of us, him on Zoom, me and my son are standing for the national anthem. Okay, the national anthem finishes. Then, of course, my son is very excited to talk to him and tell him about dinosaurs. So he had to do that. And then I'm like, okay, buddy, you go back to your computer. Okay. And then I'm talking to my coworker. I'm like, all right, so back to the pitch. And we're working through and we're coaching through the pitch, right? And I think that 
the lovely thing about that was, and definitely in the beginning, back in March, April, when this all hit, that was really uncomfortable for everyone to see that side of your life. Now Mm -hmm. I find that that vulnerability has created this immense wealth of trust that normally takes so long to build. But because we've been condensed into, like you're saying, this box where we have to play all these roles, and frankly, all those roles are visible, you have this opportunity to build an amazing level of trust with your team, which is also unprecedented and so fortuitous. Well, I think it, it applies, can, can be extended as well to your, your buyers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and this is, yeah, and this is, this is the thing that sort of drives me nuts. Is, and I was just having a conversation with somebody about this a little bit earlier. It's just, you know, never before, at least certainly in my lifetime, have we had a situation where you have such a, a common set of shared experiences with every single person you talk to? Mm-hmm. And, that if, and that if you, as a salesperson, are defaulting to old behaviors and leading with the pitches and so on, instead of just forming this basic human connection based on the shared experience – yeah, there's no hope for you at that point, I think. <laughs> it's so funny you say that, Andy, because this morning I was actually talking to my team and we were chatting about this and I was like, all right, guys, we've sold with data. Everyone's sold with data. That's great. Insights data. And yes, it's important. Absolutely. If you don't have it, you're not going to get it. But at the end of the day, exactly like you said, tell me the story. Connect with me. Find my commonality. I uh, I was on a call with a client yesterday and it was very funny because... I was on a call and this was someone I hadn't spoken to before. And so I'm sitting there and I'm talking to them and he's on his phone and we went to the pharmacy together and then we went home and I met (laughs) a dog and I'm like, to your point, like it would have normally taken me, I don't know, a year to even find out like what his dog's name was. I don't know. Um, But to be that personal that quickly is such an opportunity as well. Well, so the question, I guess I'd ask you, Jen, I know, you know, your crystal ball's the same as the rest of ours, but but how do you see us as we sort of come out of this over, you know, gradually, certainly over the next year or two, depending, you know, who you, who you believe, are we going back? What's, what's going to be, I don't want to call it the new normal, but what's that phase going to look like that we, we transition to? So I think uh, it's interesting Again, you bring that up because obviously no one has a crystal ball. I certainly don't. Wish I did, but I don't. Um, And when you look back at the 1940s and the 1950s, so coming out of World War II, they, at the time, you didn't have, you didn't have the women's movement in the same way, right? And so ultimately, yes, the 40s brought all of this progression and transformation. And then in the 50s, you got put back in your house and back in your place. And I don't think that this time with the advent of social media, the way that we have it and the visibility of platforms, and I'm not even talking social in a consumer sense, I'm talking in a business sense, companies coming Mm -hmm. out and people making statements and claims that you will be able to go back to how it was because everybody's seen Oz, everyone's seen behind the curtain now. And so I think you are going to see obviously a much more work-life blend I've seen a myriad of companies come out in the past month that have issued statements. I'm sure you saw, I think Salesforce today put out a statement that they said, we're going to have three options, fully remote, two to three days in the office, four to five days in the office. Um, and it's official, right? Like this is the stance. And so you're going and to... What, I mean, when you choose those, I mean, does your pay vary? I mean, what's... No, 
nothing varies. That's it. Like these are just the options for physical okay. working locations. So I think you're going to see a really interesting work-life blend. People aren't going to be expected to be in the office all the time. Uh, one thing I don't know, and I would actually love your opinion on this, Andy, because you've talked to so many people and you've been around so long. Um, I, <laughs> Thank you for reminding us. I'm yes. sorry. I meant in a career <laughs> sense. I meant you have excellent history. Um, but what's really interesting is I read somewhere that someone was saying the idea that you will have to you know, miss dinner with your kids for a client dinner will be a thing of the past. We won't be doing those anymore. And I read that and I, I have my thoughts, but I would love to know what you think. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I think I, I'll get to that point. I, I think that to your statement and talking about the Salesforce thing, I, what I worry about is that people are going to feel pressured to go back because they're going to be fearful of missing out. You know, if the conversations are taking place in the office, because people you know have the casual meetings face to face again, water cooler talk, okay, mm -hmm. you know, management like walking around. Yeah, I wonder whether there's going to become this this thing that wow, mm -hmm. people are talking and I'm not there, right? And so my ability to influence whatever I need to influence in order to be effective in my job. I think people are going to feel more, if that's the case, I think people are going to feel more pressure to return. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a really good perspective. And so I think when, uh, to your other point about dinner with clients and having to miss, yeah, I'm of the school that, yeah, I never took invited to dinner anyway. Um, you know, all my years of decades of selling and sales management, yeah, I'd emphasized and relied on the personal, but I, I always sort of drew a hard line. <laughs> so unless I was traveling overseas or was mm -hmm. in, you know, some other city and so on where somebody may expect it, but most times, you know, people only want to do dinner as an obligation because I had traveled 12 hours to get there. <laughs> Fair um, enough. So, um, I think it's more, yeah, I think it's more about missing events, right? You said dinner, but, but I think it's, Events. I mean, and for me, it's it's very personal because I I started my company in 2000 because I've been traveling so much. I missed a birthday for a kid, right? My daughter, mm -hmm. and I was mortified uh, and swore it never happened again. And so I I started my company and maybe even took a step back uh, just because I wanted to to be there, but also have this blend to be different, right? Mm -hmm. that, that we talked about. And I think if we can enable that for people and, you know, it's one thing to say, look, yeah, feel free to work remote, but, you know, I also expect you to be hundred percent available between eight and five. Then we really haven't changed things substantially. Right. right. But if we're saying this really is a blend, what I'm really concerned about is people getting the work done. And obviously you want to be available for certain meetings, but we also, you know, have a little bit more autonomy mm -hmm. in their lives. And I think this, I think this is a thing that the theme I keep returning to as I think more and more about this is, is this idea of autonomy mm -hmm. is, does this enable people to have greater control over their lives? And if they do that, I think you, and they're able and the companies that enable them to do, I think they buy a tremendous amount of loyalty. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's sort of at odds with a lot of what's happening in sales these days, which, quite frankly, is sort of, uh, you know, given sort of big brotherish, right? We, I, you know, there's a 
popular book out about uh, surveillance capitalism. You know, it's based on this idea that big data knows everything about you. And we have smaller versions of that in sales with all of our sales tech products and so on as we serve. Right. So if if people can sort of feel like, yeah, I can do my job, but I can do it sort of on my own terms and be successful at it, I think companies, if they enable that, I think they buy a tremendous amount of loyalty from their their people and productivity, I would say, over time. Right. So the themes you're really saying are, like you said, I mean, autonomy. And I think that, sure, that has to come from a a company lens, absolutely. I I think if you can do that, great. Um, But I do think this is where, if you are in any sort of sales, marketing management position, this is where, to me, that's also your obligation to create that psychological safety, right? Yes, that's, I agree, 100%. Yeah, and so I think, but that's where I, I believe you have an opportunity. So I believe you have an opportunity right now to carve out, for lack of a better term, like your own destiny on how you are going to operate. What is your mm-hmm. leadership shadow that you are going to put out there? And I think mm-hmm. that when we return back to work, whatever that looks like, that like you said, the idea of missing conversations, the idea of not being there. Well, FOMO exists even in the virtual world right now, and nobody's around. People think people are having <laughs> other Zoom calls without them, and people think people are talking, right? Like that, that will never yeah. go away. And so True. I think it's an ability to, whether it's like you said, I mean, creating it such that you say, okay, if you are going to be two to three days a week, can everyone try to be in the office on Wednesday and Thursday so that we do have this group think ability and energy to feed off of or ensuring that as we learn things about conversations and passings and whatnot, making sure that as a leader, you are consolidating all that information and disseminating it in a predictable manner so that people don't feel like they're left out or they missed the boat or something right. like that. So yeah. I do think Equal that access. That's, exactly. That's a really interesting point you, you did bring up though on the, to me, it's the difference in communication styles that ultimately has transpired over the last 12 months and what was important versus now what is much more important. Um, I don't know about you, but at least a year ago, like I heard about employee well-being and it was there and it was great. <laughs> but now all of a sudden, I mean, you have so many resources going into well-being and mental health and people having these breakdowns because of they are playing 18 roles at home and they can't keep doing it. And so I think as a leader, if you can help in any sense, create, like you said, the autonomy, the psychological safety, the ability to be whoever you need to be, wear whatever hat you need to wear in that time, then I think, again, you create, like you said, loyalty, you create if you can create that synergy between the team, you really create a winning team. So let me extend that then is, is what do you think, excuse me, what do you think is going to happen in terms of travel to meet customers? I have actually given that a lot of thought. And I think that people coming out of this, I feel like, again, when you look at history, the roaring twenties were the roaring twenties for a reason, right? Everyone had been pent up and locked down and under quarantine and wearing masks. And as soon as we could, we just went nuts. And I do believe that's going to happen again. I think that the pendulum is wound up and pulled back so much that as soon as we let it go, it is going to swing. So I think that once we can, 
the opportunity for in-person meetings and client travel and dinners and all those things, I do think you will probably see a surge of that because it'll be a novelty. We haven't been able to do it for so long that it'll be so fun. But I think once the pendulum swings back to the middle, that's where I think, again, like we were talking about, you will see this much more definitive and protective stance on my time and my autonomy and the ability to get the job done in the time that I have available. Yeah. Well, I find the interest, and I agree, I, and I find very interesting that that in all this discussion about virtual selling, and I've interviewed a bunch of people on the show about this, mm-hmm. is for a lot of people who have written about it, I think their perception of what, and not everybody, but a, a good chunk of them, of how much selling was actually taking place in person versus remote and virtual was completely wrong. Right. <laughs> and that and that people sort of assume that way more in person was taking place than actually was. I think there's one study that's found that you know three quarters of the three quarters of companies surveyed uh of the three quarters of companies surveyed said that like only 20% of their sales interactions were virtual or something like that. Right. And to me, that was like, that's ridiculous, right? Right. <laughs> when we talk about email and phone calls and it, and it's, I don't know, it, unless you're selling insurance, you know, door to door or something. I, I think for most sellers, yeah, it's been primarily virtual for a couple of decades. Yeah. Ever since email showed up. Well, I guess it depends though. Like it depends on the vertical you're in, right? Because we've seen it transformationally against verticals where some that are more tech-based, sure, to your point, they have been selling via email and text and all the great, you know, tech stacks we have. They've been using all those tools. Then you look at other more traditional industries like law or like professional services, and they have not. And so they were flying to events and they were taking clients out and those sales were being done in person up till the last few years. Like COVID was very difficult for some of those verticals. And so, and I think when you look even at financial services, right? Well, that was one I I know that was much more in person. Uh, yeah, right. I had someone on the show, we talked about that. Right. I feel like that transition, there's just this vision of, you know, people say field sales and it's like, I don't know, as a veteran of numerous startups and scaled companies, it's like, yeah, we we traveled when we had to. Right. But I think that's the thing, right? It's so easy. And honestly, I think this is another, and I'm going to go, you know, a little bit on a, a different path here for a second, Andy, but I think this sure. is also what's so lovely about 2020 and all the craziness is the awareness of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement actually brought into light much more people's uh, self-examination of their own beliefs and their own biases and their own things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not, I'm not even using this in that sense right now. I'm saying sure. the self-awareness to say, like you said, well, I've done this, I've run startups and I've scaled companies and this is what I've done. Well, that's fair, Andy. That's what you've done. It's not what everybody does. That's not how everybody thinks. That's not how a lot of companies run. And so I think many more people in this year coming into 2021, all of a sudden their their prerogatives and their worldview has expanded to say, well, this is what I think and this is what I believe, but huh, okay, turns out a lot of these people weren't thinking this way. And I think you are right that yes, there was a lot of things that could have been done in vir- virtually for a long time, but it, it wasn't. And that's just 
that is actually the fact. It was not happening that way. Yeah, no, I I agree. I just think that it's the you know this perception that I was talking about of of people coming into this year thinking just yeah how much is really in person right. I think was overstated and okay. and I think that that yeah we could go back and and measure it but um, but yeah it's definitely changed and our people to question we were talking before are people going to go back again and I agree with you I think there's this pent up demand and I, it will be interesting to see is when people get back out in front of customers again. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the answer to this, I'm just asking yeah. the question is, is, will they say, hmm, I could have done this remotely? Right. Or will they say, you know, there was something here that happened that, hmm, wasn't happening on remote calls. Right. Well, inevitably, the human spark of being together with people and having like a shared in-person experience through the nonverbal cues and body language and things like that, those things you will not, right? They don't translate over over video. And we know that. And there have been right, studies that right. say that. Um, so I do think there is a place for that. I w- was recently listening to, um, oh, I'm going to pronounce his last name wrong. You know, uh, Jacko Vanderkoof, Vanderko- yeah. uh, winning by design, right. that guy. Ja- yeah, Jacko Vanderkoy. Exactly. Uh, thank you. I'm like, I'm definitely going to pronounce his last name incorrectly. Um, but he really gave a great session the other day just about like the speed of sales and, and asynchronous sales. And I think that's a really big trend we're now starting to see because it felt like in 2020, you had everyone was kind of trying to hold on, right? Like, okay, well, this will be a Band-Aid. And in 2021, people realized like, yep, we are not going back to what was. So we have to figure this out. And this idea of asynchronous selling, right? And how obviously... Well, um, and, and I think explain this, explain what what Jocko meant by that. So the idea that getting like you're saying, getting seven people together in a dinner now is going to be much more challenging because if everybody is truly doing what you said, which is ultimately autonomously working in their own time and space to get the job done, then aligning seven people to come to dinner was already difficult. Yeah. It's going to be way harder now. And so this idea that, okay, so then how can we use virtual selling to speed this up? So whether that's you meet with one person in person, and then you follow up with a video, and that person can watch that in their own time and make a decision, you don't necessarily have to corral all the people together. So I do think that's a really interesting trend that we're obviously seeing right now. But I do think that is something that we will definitely see on the other end of this. It's going to be far harder to get everyone together at the same time, knowing now that everyone has been responsible for their own time and space for at least 12 months, if not longer at that point. I do think yeah. that will be like a line in the sand. Yeah, it's it's interesting thought. I mean, I, I sort of, to me, it's almost a little bit of a back to the future because I think it was more that way in the past where it was harder to get stakeholders in the same place at the same time and require different strategies for for um, you know really understanding the concerns individual concerns and expectations priorities and so on of, of each of the stakeholders mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah I think that's very interesting I have to think about that mm. but I think that's well I mean it's it's um, yeah we talk about the speed of sales. 
And I know Jocko talks about that. I mean, I've talked about it in the past as mm-hmm. well. But but when when you hear that, what what's that saying to you? What 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 do you what's your understanding of what speed of sales means? So your sales life cycle, right? To me, that's ultimately what it is, your sales life cycle. And so if your life cycle was 18 months, which and I'm including prospecting, right? prospecting, setting up, discovery, nurturing, Mm. um, all of those things. And it's 18 months. It feels like now that is going to become, first of all, asynchronous in that all of the people, all of the stakeholders will never be or very difficult to get them all in the same place at the same time. So you have to employ different strategies in order to talk to them. Um, But two, because everyone has had everything sped up, we haven't had to I mean, geez, like in some instances, you haven't had to get on the subway to come home from work. Like everything is all the transition times in even our 24 hours have shortened. And so the ability and the output that we are generating daily has gone up. And so because of that, the inevitably the sales cycle has shortened because the output has gone up. For even people on the other end, for even our clients, right? Because they mm-hmm. go through, they produce something great. Whereas before you had to get sign off, you had to get everyone in the room, we had to get it approved. You don't necessarily have to do that anymore. It is all happening virtually. And so that in itself, like the sales cycle has condensed. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's that's good. I mean, I, I look at it slightly differently. How do you look at it? So say- to me, a sales cycle is not shouldn't be measured as a duration it should be measured as a quantity okay so the quantity is you know the hours of selling time you're investing to move the prospect from initial point of contact to to a close okay and so then you and companies really need to understand what that quantity is mm-hmm. and it's really very it's going to be varied by individual how much support they need all these various factors but then you, once you have that quantity, then you can say, okay, well, why does this number of hours need to take place over 18 months? Right. Why can't these hours take place over six months? So then our constraint becomes different. Our constraint then is, is not the hours we need to invest to, to move the deal forward, but it could be getting the decision makers together. It could be, you know, various other things. So it's, it's really sort of going through this process. I believe you start with really what's, what's the level of effort it takes regardless of the time frame. And once we understand that somewhat predictably, then how do we have that? What's the steps that's missing the constraints that are preventing us from making that occur in a shorter period of time? Interesting. Okay. I actually have not heard it explained like that. Uh, but I do like that, Andy. So I'm going to take that one away and think on it. <laughs> well, and I think that that it stems from again, people listen to the show understand this like on the soapbox a lot is that yeah, our, our unit of productivity in sales really should be measured as revenue per hour of selling time, right? And when we do that, we can actually then understand what our product true productivity is and our true productive capacity is versus using measures like quota and so on Mm -hmm. um but when we understand yeah how many hours it actually takes to make a deal happen based and that could vary on size Mm does that vary by individual i've managed teams using this so there's but it gives you a more levers to pull but then yeah you say well again ultimately you get back to okay this is the number of hours yeah we we're sort of in this habit yeah we give somebody a document 
let's give him 48 hours to read it. Got it. Right? And then we'll get back to him. Well, why? <laughs> it, it takes mm-hmm. five minutes to read it. So why are we inserting this, this sort of interval that maybe doesn't need to exist? Interesting. And we're, how- we're, assuming, we're assuming the customer wants it. Well, what if they don't? Because, right. you know, there's a whole body of research into decision-making that says that really what customers are trying to do is quickly gather information and make sense of the information in order to make a good decision with the least investment of time and resources possible. Mm-hmm. So if you're a seller, say, say, look, I got these, I know it takes serve this roughly this number of hours. It's really in my best interest to get through those and help the customer get through those hours as quickly as possible. Right. Because they're at that point more likely because again, there's there's other research uh, from Herbert Simon, Nobel Prize mm-hmm. winner, saying, "Look, people want to make the good enough decision. What he called right. a satisfied, satisfied decision satisfies my requirements and it's sufficient to meet my business outcomes." Mm-hmm. Well, if you're the first seller to help the customer reach that point, your odds of winning the business go up pretty substantially. Mm-hmm. So, if you can front load these hours and help the customer get to that point more quickly, you start eliminating their their need or reducing, let's say, their need to speak to other vendors. Hmm. So it's interesting. Um, how do you feel like that parlays then on the other end of whatever this is we're in? You know, when we go back to normal, how does this, how does this translate? Well, I think it's, I'm not sure it's tied to this as much as sort of our general way of, of, approaching sales, at least sort of in the tech space. Mm-hmm. And and where we assume productivity has to do with the number of things you do as opposed to the effectiveness of the things you do. And I and I think this is ultimately we'll come back. This will be something that becomes much more important because you know this is really how you measure sort of the product I said the productive capacity of a sales organization. If you understand how productive an individual is in the sense in terms of let's say revenue per hours, revenue generated per hour, a sales time, then I can do a calculation to say, well, this is what the real capacity is of this organization. Right. And and maybe I don't need to scale the number of people I have. I just need to be able to help them achieve these levels of productivity. And it changes economics pretty substantially. Interesting. So I'm sorry, of course, as you're talking to me, going back to the beginning of wearing multiple hats, I hear my children come in and one of them (laughs) is screaming and I don't know what's happening. And I think he's crying, but luckily someone's with him. So, you know, we'll just hope for the best here. I, I, I actually, I thought that was like construction noise from outside here. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. No, it was a, it was a seven year old screaming. Sounds like he probably fell outside. Yeah, I mean, I I said I just have so much admiration for people with kids at home that are are making this happen. Um, yeah, it's it's hugely difficult. I said I can't imagine having done it uh, when I had, <laughs> we had two kids at home. Um, yeah, unbelievable. And it leads to a question. So, in amongst this, is what do you? I just read an interesting book, and this will lead to the question. And the guest on the show, a fascinating guest named Andrew Sykes, wrote a book called The Eleventh Habit, uh, Habits of High Performance Individuals. I forget the exact subtitle. But it sort of 10, you know, sort of standard habits of, of 
performance improvement or high performance. But the 11th one was really the, the key. And he said the 11th one is self-care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in all everything that's going on for you, how have you found time for you? That's an interesting question. Um, and I do totally agree that you, when you are wearing 16, 17, 18 hats, organizing down to the minutia is imperative and that includes self-care. And so I have spoken to and coached a lot of people who are in the same situation on this and saying, whatever that means to you, for me, that means it really does. And I, I mean, I feel like I'm going to be redundant saying this because I feel like everyone says this, um, but wake up in the morning as early as you can. I wake up, uh, generally around sometime in the five, five forty-five, five thirty. Exercise, journal, write, read. And then all of a sudden, when the world wakes up at seven, you've had an hour and a half. And then you can hit the deck running. But you have had that hour and a half to clear your space, clear your mind, and physically nourish your body, however you need to do that. But I do find that time imperative. And without that, I feel like I would go nuts. And so what's your exercise of choice during the pandemic? I have, I feel like most people, I wish it was really fancy, but I found a YouTube channel that I love and uh-huh. um, I literally just follow this woman. And so I stumbled, I tried a bunch of different ones and inevitably I stumbled on this one and I'm a complete diehard fan now and I love her. Um, she's very motivating, very fun, very resilient, and she does a variety of different exercises. And so I literally just wake up, go down to my basement and do them. And, um, and it's been great. It's been great. Yeah. My wife has found a, again, similar YouTube channel, sort of a Pilates type thing. And she's just, yeah, yeah, huge, huge, huge fan. You have to find what works for you. Right. And so, yeah, it's been all of those things, all those habits. I mean, I even think of that now, like, yeah. will I go back to a gym? Will I go back to a yoga studio? I don't know, maybe to get out of my house, but it is quite nice just to be able to do everything and run upstairs <laughs> and not have to travel. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I know. But I'm a little spoiled being here in California. Is, yeah, I can get outside more easily year-round. Fair um, enough, yes. So, <laughs> I am yeah. very jealous. But Yeah, so going and hopping on my bicycle and heading out to the hills is, is uh, yeah, a little bit more doable. That sounds pretty fantastic. Yeah, yeah, very fortunate. Um, but, yeah, masked up, all those things, that's, yeah. Still taking the precautions, but well, as you yeah. have to be. Yeah, what is to the point though that about you said about going back to the gym is is yeah, I was watching a TV show I remember a few weeks ago and I forget which one it was, maybe it was even a movie, but yeah, there's a business meeting and people coming in shaking hands over a table, and I'm like, ooh, when's that gonna happen again? No. I've thought about that a lot. I've actually given that a ton of thought and sat with friends and peers and colleagues and talked about this. What does this generation of children right now look like? Like, what did they look like? Like you're saying, will shaking hands become a thing of the past? Will people inevitably, when they talk to people, no longer have a foot between them, have three feet between them? Like, what are going to be the markers? Oh, yeah. Right? Um, Yeah. And I think that that is so interesting. And like you're saying, travel. What will be the propensity for travel? 
What will be the propensity for people to go out and dine together and drink together and have parties and gatherings? What does that look like? Is everything more intimate going forward where it's small groups or four or five that you know quite well? So, and I, I do think that's, I mean, geez, when you look at, and I'm sure you've seen all the research on Generation Z and how they are less connected, obviously, and more ingrained mm-hmm. in tech and and less engaging in many of the activities, whether it be um, lots of different things, promiscuity specifically, sure. right? Um, <laughs> but they are not engaging at that as nearly the levels of generations past. And so having now had this where, okay, we have been restricted from physical contact. What does that look like? How does that proliferate? What does that mean for, what does that mean for the generation coming up right now? I'm, yeah. I'm fascinated with that. And again, I mean, I realize that goes into a little bit of sales, all of those things, because when you look, even as you sell generationally, contingent on who your buyer is, there's different behaviors, there's different yep. tonalities, yep. there's different communication styles. So what does that mean? I mean, now you have all of these millennials who are making a myriad of decisions and research has been done on them. But what happens when your buyer becomes Generation Z and they have lived through this in a meaningful way? What does that look like to those of you who didn't and kind of thought, oh, yeah, it was a blip. Glad it's over. Let's get back to normal. But this isn't their normal. What does that look like? Great question. So come back and we'll talk about it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't have a great answer for it. I, I, I think something that's not perhaps thought about or talked about a lot, but as I, as I was looking at that movie when that you know, meeting, and then I started watching other TV shows that are sort of being produced right now that basically aren't really acknowledging that the pandemic exists, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some dramas and so on, is I think, you know, take a look at what the impact of what media will be mm-hmm. in terms of, of, you know, if it seems like that sort of carries on, then I suspect people are going to take cues from a lot of that mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, yeah, distance, physical physical contact and so on that was an interesting Uh, that discussion i saw all over uh various forums obviously yesterday with the super bowl ads and all of them saying how none of the people were masked and well all of these ads were shot like why and the idea being to your point well media is aspirational and media is what we hopefully uh, strive for but again what happens to these people who are coming of age who are in very impressionable times right now. This is what it, this is aspirational. This is their real life. Yeah. So what is that? Yeah. Again, I digress, but, um, no, no, it's a great question. I, I, we'll have you back. We'll talk about it. Well, I can't wait. I know. And I'll do a little more study on anthropology and how humans <laughs> develop and we can have that conversation. Yeah. I'll read Margaret Mead. There you go. Um, you haven't read that for ever. Okay. Well, Tiffany, it's been fantastic to talk with you. So if people want to connect with you, obviously they should connect on LinkedIn. Definitely on LinkedIn. I'm also on Clubhouse now. So uh, I've been enjoying that, listening, hearing. Uh, It's so fun. Uh, It's so... I got an invitation, so I have to learn about it and start it. Hop on there and just have a listen. It's great. It really does feel like walking into various cocktail parties and just listening to what people are saying. All right. Fantastic. Fantastic talk with you, and uh, look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you so much, Andy. It's been a pleasure. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. 
I am ever so grateful for your support of the show. And I really want to thank my guest, Tiffany Hempel, for sharing her experiences and her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd certainly appreciate that. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.